Thanks for coming back for the second part of the conversation that we're having related to milk, plant-based plant beverages, and the non-dairy milk products, and the various types of chemicals that we might find in them as it relates to how it can impact our health, our metabolism, and our overall ability to optimally function. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and skip back into the conversation, picking up right where we left off relating to the types of fats that we might find within the products. Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard or believed to be true about how the human body works and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. And so when we start looking, okay, this partial hydrogenated fat, that is the debate in terms of the butter versus margarine. Right. And what is in the, the, the big thing is, is that we're looking at almost a hundredfold difference in trans fats in between the margarine and the butter in terms of grams per serving. Wow. That's, that's really bad. And so, so the margarines give you about two and a half to four and a half, depending upon which margarine you're looking at, the amount of trans fats you have in a day maximum versus butter, which is giving you less than half of what you should have in a day. So butter is the winner, basically. It, once again, it, it depends <laughs> on what you're talking about in terms of winner. Yeah. In terms of how many trans fats I should be consuming, butter yes. is fabulous to not give me possible metabolic issues. Correct. From from the trans fats. Okay. Okay. And once again, we have to look at it from, from, from that trans fat perspective. Lens. Yeah. Yes. And so that's does but that doesn't necessarily seem to be the lens that we actually look at when we start looking at butter versus margarine. Why? What else? Well, what else are we looking at? We we look at it based off of the of off of how many grams of fat do I have, and oh. how many grams of saturated fat do I have versus how oh. many grams of unsaturated fat. So we're looking at the less important things. Correct. Maybe, I would say. Okay. So would that? Could you? Or is there anything that um, margarine beats butter in in terms of being a winner over it? Yeah, uh, margarine won't burn. And so, it, <laughs> so if, if, if I want to cook stuff like fudge, if, if I want, if I, if I, if I want to, if I want to cook stuff where I have to worry about temperature, yeah. margarine is yeah. going to be better, better margarine is going to be better than, than butter. If I'm looking at something that's that going sucks. to uh, allow for shelf life, margarine, margarine is going to be better than butter. Okay. But at the same time, if I'm looking at it in terms of a, of a nutrition standpoint, Right. Butter is better than margarine on a nutrition standpoint. Yeah, that's the idea that I know, just a little anecdote that my mom goes by whenever we would go out to restaurants as a family, she'd be like, oh, is this is this little container, you know, in a restaurant that they might bring you bread? Oh, is this real butter or is it margarine? And then, you know, some places do real butter, most places do margarine. She'll be like, oh, can I have real butter, please? And she's just totally against margarine. And obviously, from the nutritional standpoint, she's correct to do that. Because when it comes to that instance, of course, you would want regular butter over margarine. And it spreads easier, too. So there's a little bonus. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and once again, that goes into the, into the ability to, to, to have the, the shelf life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a less important thing, but when, <laughs> when we function, you know, high intensity, quick lives, you want something that is convenient, not something that maybe is harder to deal with, but is actually better in terms Correct. of nutritional diet. Correct. But at this, at the same time, you also, you also have to look at it in terms of other factors that come into play. And once again, it goes into what um, I, in, I had stated about the, the higher fat uh, milk and the growth factors. Mm-hmm. There, there is, there is uh, indications within the whole body of research that butter has, allows for better growth signaling than margarine does. And it may be due to the, the issues of metabolic disruption coming from the margarine that we don't get from the butter, but it may be from other factors within butter right? that we don't see within the margarine. But even still, if we, if we actually, once again, if we go back and think about the, look at the history of all of this, we think about this as being a, a new debate. Mm-hmm. But I was reading articles that were coming from the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, with the one of the big seminal papers coming in in the early 1940s. Mm-hmm. That was looking at the debate between margarine and butter, and the and the the nutritional health aspects that we have between margarine and butter, and the fact that in terms of in terms of the nutrients that are there, there's no difference in terms of the actual total quanta of nutrients. Mm-hmm. The nutrients you get in butter, the nutrients you get in margarine are the same. Okay. Quantifiably the same. But qualitatively, we start having that difference in aspect. And so whenever we start looking at this, we also have to think about two, two aspects. And it's, it's the two aspects that we tend to kind of ignore. It's not about technically the, the quantity of what's there. Mm-hmm but the quality of what's there in that quantity. Right. And this is where, yes, we get these benefits from margarine. Yes, we get these benefits from butter. But what is the the cost-benefit analysis that we see between the two? Right. And butter has its kind of negative side Mm -hmm. to it it's a different negative side to it than what margarine has Mm -hmm. but the negative side we see we see with butter has to deal with the amount of saturated fat that's there and the amount of saturated fat that's there can have uh, metabolic responses that are slightly different than what we see with a plant oil that's not solidified. Hmm. And that goes into, okay, what am I going to be doing for cooking purposes? Because when we start cooking things, the chemical, the chemical nature of the molecules change. Yeah. Heat changes the, the shape of the molecule and right. shape of the molecule is going to change how well it functions and what function it might have mm-hmm. in terms of our overall metabolic processes. Right. So is it true? I have a question. This is a burning question I've had for a long time because I've seen it. I saw it in a YouTube comment section. So 
I don't know how true it's going to be, but I did hear an anecdotal uh, report from somebody that they worked allegedly in a professional restaurant that was actually good, like five-star restaurant. And the the head chef of the restaurant wouldn't ever allow them to cook with margarine for anything. And the reasoning was that margarine is one molecule away from being plastic. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I wanted to find out because that sounds absolutely disgusting if that is true. Um, I'm not sure about that. I have to okay. look at it. Okay. I have to look at what because once again, margarine is 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 a catch-all term. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, I just wanted to see because that to me, I was like, oh boy, that's that's really gross. So so margarine is is so so when we're talking about lipids, we're talking about fats. Fats mm-hmm. are hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. Hydrocarbons are what we use in so petroleum mm-hmm. is a hydrocarbon. Mm-hmm. I can chemically change all hydrocarbons into other hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite, quite easily, just through through simple chemical reactions. The idea that just because I can turn it into a petroleum doesn't necessarily mean it is a petroleum. Right. And plastics are petroleums. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so all of the plastics that we use all the plastics that um get made come from petroleum come from oil and so when everybody talks about oh we're going to be an oil an oilless society once again we're on a complete side note from the principal discussion here we cannot be an oilless society and still use plastics that's weird because plastics come from petroleum and petroleum is oil it's all yeah. about it, it's about what part of the petroleum is being used, how it how we went about refining that petroleum in order to in order to make the plastic. Mm-hmm. And once again, plastic is is a catch-all phrase too. Okay. okay. Because there's different there's different types of plastics. Right. So maybe that's the and so so maybe so it's Possibly. a maybe. Yes. It's it's possible. That's that's mm-hmm. what people should know. It is possible. It is possible. It's really nasty. Yeah. Now at, at the same time, I, I I personally know a lot of chefs who who will never cook with margarine. Yeah, exactly. Because of taste. Yeah. I mean and it's that's not different. the best. It, it's it's a ta- it's a taste difference. Yeah, a big taste difference. And so so they'll they'll never they'll they will if they have if they have to use a, a butter substance, they will always use butter. Right. When they cook. Now they may cut the butter with like olive oil or canola oil, mm-hmm. but it's never where they're going to go and get um, a blend, a margarine blend. So, so if, if you look at, if you go through the dairy aisle, mm-hmm. a lot of what is now margarine is now margarine blends. It's not margarine all by itself. Mm. It's like butter with canola oil or butter with olive oil oh, or yeah. butter with where what they've done is that is that they've utilized a lower hydrogenation product and mixed it with butter once again because of the fact that we have this kind of 
I don't want to have butter because fat and eating fat somehow makes me fat, which is not how that works. Which I hear a lot. Mm -hmm. And once again, it goes into, it goes back to the, the biggest misconception out there, the biggest misnomer. When we talk about milk misnomers, there's two. One is drinking high fat milk is going to cause me to be fat. Mm -hmm. And the other one is that I need to consume milk in order to, uh, have healthy bones in order to get the calcium that I need in order to have healthy bones. Now we did, now that was disproved three, four, de three and a half decades ago now. And so the milk, so back when I was growing up, it was, you drink milk, so you get, so you have strong bones. Yep. And then we get to the early two thousands and you drink milk to get stronger. And we know, okay, you can get stronger a whole bunch of different ways. And now it's, now you drink milk because milk is a nutritious product. Food. It's a Same. nutritious food. Yeah. And most of the, the discussions, most of the misnomers that are out there are advertisements that get picked up. And because we get inundated with the message and inundated with the message and inundated with the message where it's around us all the time. Well, if they're selling it that way, it must be true is the assumption that gets made. Yeah, exactly. And we all know what happens when we assume. Bad things happen. Well, you can break it down. Right. And make an ass out of you and me is the, mm -hmm. is the idiom that goes with, with, with the, you know, what happens when people assume. And it goes into the, the whole, when the myth, when the, when the facts become legend, print the legend. Mm-hmm idea of of nutrition and of nutritional literacy where we are more ingrained with what are the the advertisements around the products than what the actual scientific basis for eating those things happen to be and so like i said the two big big misnomers out there the two big myths as it relates to, to milk and to dairy products is the, the issue around fat and fattiness right? and the issue around milk providing the calcium and the other things you need in order to grow tissues, in particular bone. Yeah. Even though we know that we can give you calcium into your blue in the face, once again, using a, a parlance of, of words here, but if you don't use the bones correctly, the bones aren't going to grow. Well, yeah, I mean, and the problem is that if I have too much calcium in my blood, if I have too much calcium in my body, other bad things happen because of too much calcium. Right. And so we try to regulate the amount of calcium in my body hormonally mm -hmm. so that I don't have the bad things happen, but I have the good things happen. And if I overconsume dairy product, one of the things that we do see, and it goes into the digestion side of of these, of these issues that we don't see with the plant-based beverages and we don't see with the plant-based butter or plant-based ice cream. If I overconsume dairy products, mm -hmm. the likelihood of me developing gall issues, gallbladder issues, gallstone issues increases. And that's because of the regulation that sensing of dairy fat has. Mm -hmm on the production of bile and the storage of bile in the gallbladder. 
And if I'm overproducing bile due to sensing high fat content. Oh, yeah. I'm going to overproduce bile and I'm going to overproduce bile. And if I'm not constantly secreting that bile, it's going to get stored. The yeah. salts within bile come out of the bile solution, mm -hmm. start to coagulate around, and we start forming gallstones. And so people who consume large amounts of animal dairy product have a higher likelihood of gallbladder issues than people who don't consume the high amounts of animal dairy product. Mm -hmm. And that's where we start, start looking, okay, what it's kind of a, it's a 50, 50, what do I want in terms of, of issues? Do I want to have the gallstone issues from having high amounts of dairy product? Or do I want to have the other issues that can come about from, from over-consuming the plant-based beverages or consuming the margarines and the plant-based non-dairy um, ice creams and non-dairy yogurts? And so, so we basically, we're, you have a, a catch-22 in terms of, okay, what do I want to have a higher relative risk for? And I can kind of cut the relative risk for, for gallbladder issues by not eating the pints and gallons and half gallons of ice cream all at one time. Right. <laughs> or drinking the gallons uh, of milk at one time. Right. Yeah, that makes me think of uh, a friend of mine who uh, I've known him for about seven years. And uh, he just, I think he actually just turned 40. But he would talk about when he was a kid, he would go through... I think two gallons of milk a week as a kid. And then that kind of segued into a story where um, he, he worked a lot of construction in his twenties uh, and thirties and he got, his legs got crushed by I think 12,000 pounds of construction material and his legs didn't, he was, no broken bones or anything and he was like oh yeah it was because i drank all this milk as a kid so my bones must have been you know strong enough to withhold that so i was like you know at the time i you know i'm only 21 so you know seven years ago um i was like okay yeah that, that makes sense cool but now with all these discussions it's like well maybe you're not right yeah so you know, back then I was like, oh yeah, this conversation makes sense. You know, I've always known milk to be that thing that makes your bones stronger, makes you stronger. So it made sense. And then just as time has gone on and I've taken, um, you know, classes in college and whatnot, and obviously hearing this now, it's like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're on like a, in the right mindset where it's like, Sure, but realistically, it's just not like that. Yeah, and the, the other thing is, is that yeah, I was supposedly crushed by twelve thousand pounds, but how much weight actually landed directly on directly him. on yeah, and so right. it's 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 like when we talk about like oh, the mother lifting the car off the infant, the mm -hmm. weight of a car is more than the world record for deadlift. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so you're telling me that some mother is stronger than the person who has the record for deadlift. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, mm, yeah. And so, but, so, so having milk in the diet has benefit, mm -hmm. but it's not, oh, 
if you don't drink milk, you're going to have weak bones. Right. Or if you, or if you drink milk, you will have strong bones. It's, there's so many factors that go into what actually causes bones to be strong. And the amount of calcium is very minimal. And so if you think about it, you only need about maybe about three grams of calcium in a day. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's not that much. No. no. And so, so children might need a little bit more during growth spurts, but you don't need, you don't need this exorbitant amount of, of calcium. And once again, if, because it's, it's an ion and it's a water soluble ion, whatever I'm not, whatever I'm not absorbing, it's just going to be excreted. Right. Yeah. And, and so if we look at like what's in, in milk, about 88% by volume of milk is water. And you, and the rest of it is made up of uh, proteins, fats, that's about 10, 11% of the remaining 12%. And the rest is all of the other things that we attribute milk to provide. The, the vitamin D, the calcium, the, the vitamin A, all of those, all those other things mm-hmm. are, is very, very minimal mm-hmm. in terms of what, what's, what we find in any of the dairy products. Right. So you could attribute more of his experience to just being in the field that he was in. He probably loaded his bones constantly mm-hmm. and that would hypertrophy the bones in and of itself, leading to a higher likelihood of uh, preventing breakage. Correct. Yes. Right. Okay. But yeah, um, I only had, I had one other question I wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. Um in term, it goes back to the the butter and margarine and the cost effectiveness and just the general discussion of it. And you mentioned how you had seen it's not just margarine anymore; it's these kind of mixtures. Is margarine cheaper than butter at the grocery store? Because I don't think I've ever seen margarine at a grocery store before. Um, I don't think it was. I don't think we're selling margarine by itself. It's usually just a blend now. Right. So, are those blends cheaper than a thing of butter? I haven't priced it out. Okay. Personally, I I mean, um, I'm not gonna say what 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 brand of butter that I purchase. That's fair. But um, the I I buy one brand of butter because I like the the taste that that butter has. Yeah. And I mean, there's this whole idea of um, organic milk versus the non-organic milk, which is it's a all all a marketing ploy. Because all milk is organic because it has carbon in it. Yeah. That's carbon in the com- that has a has a methyl group, hence makes it organic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um I buy one basically one brand of butter because I found that I like that that butter. Yeah. Um I haven't priced out the blends. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you have to look at is where which store are you going to because every store is gonna have a different right everyone tries to be competitive with one Mm -hmm. another so i was just trying to think about it because there are like it seems like the drawbacks of butter at least for the way i live my life are better than the drawbacks of margarine but with this whole thing where they're kind of in a constant contention for what might be better than the other that well in terms of cost effectiveness because a lot of people base their choices off of cost effectiveness. Mm-hmm. So that could tip the scales in one way or the other 
in getting more people to accept it as the primary source of their fats. Yes. And, and that leads into uh, another thing that we were going to get to here in a second, but price is like we were talking about before in terms of the, the food desert issue. Right. And what is, what am I going to purchase as someone who is on a very tight budget versus someone who price doesn't matter? Yeah. Cause that does definitely make a difference. You can have more freedom to pick. Oh, well I just look at this. Don't even bother looking at the price tag, mm-hmm. which it, it's unrealistic, but yes. And, and the other thing is that you have to look, okay, if I'm going to go and buy a month's supply of groceries all at one time, I'm going to buy something that has a longer shelf life to it, mm-hmm. which is going to impact what types of, uh, that products I'm going to have within those things, whether it is right. the the margarine versus the butter, the trans fat versus the the non trans fat ideas. And, and if we look at it from a, from a nutrition standpoint, it's one thing. But we also, but once again, we have to look at it in terms of a, of a holistic approach. We can't right. say, oh, just because it's it's more nutritious to have this, if I can't afford it, then it just won't be a part mm-hmm. of your diet. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's one of the things like, uh, it's, and we'll, we'll get to the, I know that we want to talk a little bit about the Crisco versus the lard and we'll get to that here in a second. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that I liked about the, the initiatives within the Obama administration as it came to, to healthy pro health community act activities, doing school gardens doing 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 those things because the the more access i have to foods that have higher amounts of the vitamins that i need higher amounts of the the molecules that are going to reduce inflammation Mm -hmm. the better i'm better i'm going to have in terms of terms of health as we get disrupted by 40 or here um (laughs) And so, so having that garden, garden availability is of benefit to me, because once again, when we talk, when we talk about nutrition, we always talk about eating the rainbow. Right. We don't want to have a beige plate. We want to have multiple colors. By having multiple colors, I'm going to have access to all the various vitamins, all the various minerals, all of the trace elements that I need, all of the major elements I need, all of the minor elements I need within the diet. Or if I don't have those rainbows, I have to supplement somehow through the use of the multivitamin or through the use of the specific vitamin dietary supplement pills. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's daunting in and of itself just to have all these things that you need to try to get in your diet. It's like, I mean, I'm looking at the nutrition label. It says it's got vitamin, this vitamin, that I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know this stuff well enough to really consider it. So I kind of just have to, well, I know chicken's good for me. I know broccoli's good for me. I'll just go with that stuff and hope I'm not killing myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, that once it goes into the, the need to have nutrition literacy, right. To, to understand, okay, what, what is in the, the products that I'm consuming? Because everybody talks about, Oh, watch how much fat you have. Oh, watch how much uh, sugar you have. Oh, watch. Yeah how much people don't talk about protein. Now there used to be like an an old, 
it's it's still kind of there, but it's not as as prominent as as it once was, where overconsuming protein leads to kidney disease. Yes. Or overconsuming protein leads, leads to liver disease. I've heard disease. that one a lot. Well, if I overconsume protein and predisposed to having kidney issues and don't consume enough liquid, enough fluids in the day, mm-hmm. then I'm going to end up having kidney disease. But is it because of the protein I'm consuming or is it because of low fluid consumption and predisposition to issues? Issues. Yeah. It's just like people, if, if people have uh, a genetic abnormality, a, 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 a SNP that doesn't allow them to process cholesterol molecules correctly, mm-hmm. they should not be on a keto diet because instead of reducing LDL levels, they're actually going to elevate LDL levels. <laughs> and so people, who ha- so people who have high cholesterol, dyslipidemia, and are taking a statin mm-hmm. should not be on a high-fat ketogenic diet because they don't have the enzymes to process <laughs> the fats correctly in order to keep in order to keep LDL HDL levels normal. Oh boy! Yeah, it's it's something that. I've heard a lot specifically where it's about the, oh, well, if your cholesterol is low, that must mean you're on the track to healthiness. And even with like Cheerios commercials and whatnot, mm-hmm. where they talk yeah. about cholesterol, but like, yes, for, they do. Uh, for example, my dad has super low cholesterol. All of his brothers have high cholesterol, but he has super low cholesterol. And it's like, well, that's, that's one good thing, but there, there are other things that need to change as well. It's not just, oh, as long as this arrow is pointing in the right direction, all the rest of them are too. Correct. Yeah. But the, the other thing is, this is what, once again, goes into scientific literacy. What cholesterol is low? Because, right, exactly. Because you want to have, because you, you want to have lower LDL levels. Like you don't want to have super high, low density cholesterol, mm-hmm. but you don't, but you don't want to have low, high cholesterols. And so, okay. so there's actually there's actually ranges for for cholesterol molecules that we want to have in circulation. We don't want to have total cholesterol be super high, mm-hmm. but we also don't want to have it to be super low, because we need the cholesterol molecules there. Because what cholesterol molecule is doing is it's transporting the lipids around the body. What the LDL HDL molecules are doing is it's transporting hydrophobic things in a water environment. So it's yeah. transporting molecules that don't like water in water. Right, because they wouldn't move otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so, bad. Yeah, and that's bad. And so, so just because I have low cholesterol doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's good. <laughs> because I have high cholesterol doesn't mean it's bad. It's which, what cholesterol am I looking at in terms of the good, bad, if I have very high LDL, that's bad. But if I have very low HDL, that's also bad. Mm, okay. And so when we start looking at, at cholesterol readings and in the YouTube videos in the blood, I've given the, the breakdown of cholesterol and uh, triglyceride readings that we look at in terms of good, bad, and different. Mm-hmm. 
and for people who want who want those numbers, you can go ahead and you can you can pull it up. It's it's in the uh, cardiovascular physiology blood uh, videos, and we don't want to have too low of HDL. We also, but the problem is we also don't want to have too high HDLs. We don't want to have too high LDLs, but at the same time, we don't want to have too low. Right, it's all balance. It's all ba- It's all about that balance. It's, it's all. It's all about that that homeostatic optimal level, so that I can perform and stay healthy. Right. And for and that and that healthiness is gonna is going to change based off of the person that we're dealing with. Dealing with. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Because it's not even just something you can say for all people. It's everything is case by case. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's it's one of, it's one of the problems in it's one of the things that that we constantly deal with in terms of public health awareness and in terms of health science education is understand that that everybody falls on a normal curve and what we call normal is not the is not what we think about as normal mm-hmm. yeah and so 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 English normal and science normal are two different things right. So, so science normal is where is ninety five percent of the population, because that's that's normal scientifically. Where five percent of the population is not really abnormal, but just not within the normal ranges. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are on the extremes of a population curve. Two point five percent on one side, two point five percent on the other side. And even in that 2.5%, we still break that down into even smaller delineations. And so everybody's going to fall, fall somewhere on that normal curve. And where you fall on that normal curve, as long as there's no abnormal pathophysiology coming out, then that's your normal. Yeah. And it's something that, that uh, people have started to recognize within healthcare. And what's usually referred to as the individualized care model or the personal care model, where we treat the where we treat the individual as the individual, as opposed to treat the individual as if they're everybody at in the population. Mm-hmm. And we look at okay, is your readings causing disruption to your normal physiology, or is it just your normal readings? Right. And it's, it's one of the things that, that we've started to, to address when we start looking at the nutritional aspect of long-term health and long-term, long-term health outcomes. Particularly when we say, okay, we don't want to have so much saturated fat, but at the same time, we don't want to have all of the partially hydrogenated fats. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we can't make things like cookies out of the polyunsaturated fats. Mm-hmm. We can't make cookies out of olive oil. Yeah, Suck. that wouldn't go so well. But at the same time, we don't want to use nothing but lard in everything that, that we make. No, which is which is another fact. It's gonna take us off the the topic of the of the dairy stuff, which is which is perfectly fine mm-hmm. because I think I think we've kind of talked about what we want to talk about in terms of the the milk misnomers and the the dairy issues. But the other thing that comes in with the dairy issues is the other fat that we use for cooking. Exactly. Because when we talk, when we talk about butter and margarine, we're usually talking about in terms of a cooking thing. Mm-hmm. 
And in there, there's other fats that we can use that fall in line with the margarine side of stuff. And that is the, the Criscos, the, the, the plant oil lards. Right. And those are all hydrogenated plant oils. Mm -hmm. The way in which the Criscos are used is, well, there's two ways, let me rephrase it. There's two ways to use, that people usually use Crisco. They use it either as a cooking lard Mm-hmm. Or they use it as a baking lard. Yeah. Baking lards, you can think about in terms of the, the health issues, very similar to using the margarines. Okay. Because it's simply just a, a partially hydrogenated oil. In terms of the, the cooking lard, it's going to get melted and then used as a, as a frying oil. Mm-hmm. Now, depending upon the temperature and the duration of cooking within the lard, there's no adverse health issues to fried food versus unfried food. The correlations that we see with, with fried food versus unfried food is simply that correlation. The idea that cooking in fat causes health issues to automatically come about because you're cooking in fat is a mis- is a misconception. Very similar misconception to if I eat fat, I'm going to be fat. Mm-hmm. Or if I f- fry chicken in uh, vegetable oil or peanut oil or canola oil, it's get- somehow going to be healthier than if I fry it in Crisco. Yeah. Or fry it in in lard. Now, if you talk to family members I have there from the south. You mm-hmm. either use Crisco or you use bacon lard. Those are the only two options that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can deep fry stuff with peanut oil, but if you really want the taste, it's going to be one of these two, usually in a cast iron skillet that can be dated back to the late 1700s. Oh, yeah. I got one of those. That has been cleaned once you got to keep the flavor in exactly yeah 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 plenty of family from the south i know yeah. all about it and 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 so what ends up happening is that because of regional regionalization of weight issues regionalization of fat issues regionalization of health issues they associate the cooking with this specific thing such as lard or crisco as the root cause for the health issues that come about, even though when we look at it, there's so many other environmental issues, so many other metabolic disruptors that, the, that those people are facing that cause the health issues, that cause the metabolic disease issues to come about, that you can't say it's just one thing. You never really can. There's hardly ever, I don't know if I've ever in all of science heard of one thing being the cause for something else. There are always at least a multitude of things that can cause something to happen. Correct. And as, as, you, as you all have heard me say multiple times, the body is a Rube Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. And 
you want it to function correctly, but the problem is it's a Rube Goldberg, which means it's never going to function correctly. No. And, and so when we start trying to, to over, and it goes back into that idea of oversimplifying the, the problem. And is there, are there issues with cooking with Crisco? Are there issues with cooking with lard? Are there issues with cooking with butter? Are there issues with cooking with margarine? Yeah, there's issues with it. But it's, is, it a, is it an environmental issue? Is it a physiological issue? Is it a economic issue? What's the issue that, that we want to address with that? But if we start doing comparisons between what's going on in terms of the physiology Use, utilizing butter, utilizing animal fat can have better benefits for you than utilizing the chemically altered seed oils, using the chemically altered plant fats, mm-hmm. independent of any of the other chemical signatures that we might see within the plants. But at the same time, if I'm going to be cooking with animal products, I have to understand that cooking at high temperature with animal products causes changes within some of the hydrocarbons that can become a metabolic disruptor, an endocrine disruptor, and in some cases can link to nitrogens that cause a cancerous, can cause a carcinogenic effect within the gastrointestinal system. And so once again, we have to start thinking, okay, what am I, try- what am I trying to, to do with, with my nutrition? Mm-hmm. What, am I try- what am I trying to, to, to balance out? And the problem is, is that for the longest time, as, as we've talked about multiple times, nutrition is always boiled down to how many calories am I eating? Yeah. As if calories is somehow the magic thing without looking, okay, how much vitamin A am I getting? How much vitamin B am I getting? How much vitamin B6 am I getting? How much vitamin B5 am I getting? How much vitamin C am I getting? How much vitamin D am I getting? All the other things that come in with the nutrition that we, that we somehow always ignore because of the holy grail being calories. Even though calories don't mean anything, and if you ask anybody what a calorie means, they wouldn't bloody know. Mm-hmm. No. Um, I know that's something a lot of people are still stuck on too, because, you know, there are so many people that are uh, like dedicated weightlifters, powerlifters and stuff like that. And they'll always be like, look, if you eat this amount of calories of this or this amount of calories of this, one obviously being more unhealthy than the other, then as long as you're in the calorie deficit, you're going to lose weight. And it's like, it's such a, I have a contention with it because, you know, obviously these people are doing something that worked for their body, but not only do the same concepts for them not work for everybody else, but the concept isn't scientifically sound. And there's pushing that and people are believing it because they see, oh, this dude's jacked despite most of them being on anabolic steroids, that this must work. So it's speculative, it's, speculative steroid use. We're, we're, not, we're not accusing anybody of anything. 
No, only the ones that are open with it, but yes. speculative otherwise. Yes. It, well, there's that, and it, it actually goes into why um, I recorded earlier conversation with uh, with Ashley, and I'm hoping to record again with with Richie about the body image issue. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I pointed out, and it's something that, that no one talks about when we talk about body image, and it actually kind of irked me when I heard this, and I kind of wrote a little passage on it in the in the Substack from, and I'm actually going to call this out, Paul Bellatori finds out podcast. And they pitched this somehow secret thing that NFL linemen are able to do in order to lose all the weight following the end of playing the NFL. And they specifically pointed out four different people that work in the media. And Mm. all that's happened is is that they've changed the coercive event of what my body type should look like to what my body type should now look like. There's no secret. All they did was change the coercion. And then they talked about some people who went from playing football to play, to doing endurance things. And all they did was change the body image of a football player to the body image of an endurance athlete. Right. It's something that I'm doing right now where I'm converting my body image from being what my body image was for, for doing the stuff I was doing to working towards being more of an endurance athlete, a 5K, a 10K runner. Right. I'm never going to get to where to to the size of the ultra competitive half marathoners marathoners because I don't have that body image. I don't have that 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 set morphology. Mm. And it goes into what we're talking about in terms of the the and I see it through through my feet where it's like oh well do this thing for getting this body type well no. Because you have to have the genetic predisposition to be able to, to have that. You have to fit somewhere, once again, on that normal curve of, of, of body morphology in order to, to look that way outside of utilizing some sort of pharmacological agent to help change the genetic, pre- genetic predisposition, to, ma- to go beyond what your maximum happens to be. But even within that, people tend to, we're now near, near the end of January. This is the time where most people kind of give up. If my New Year's resolution was to lose weight, this is about the time where people start to give up on that New Year's yeah. resolution. And that's simply because they don't understand time scale. And they don't understand, oh, well, um, I'm going to cut out this super high fat food for this super high carbohydrate food. That's going to somehow change the amount of calories that I'm eating without understanding that having fat within the diet changes my satiation point because it takes longer to digest the fats than it does to digest the carbohydrates, which means I'm going to, and it's going to be slower for digestion purposes, which is going to make me feel fuller for longer periods of time, which is going to help control how much, how much food I'm actually eating. Because once again, it's not about calories, it's about the amount, the mass of food that's being consumed. Because once again, conservation of mass. Right. But at the same time, people don't understand this is something that, that I pointed out in one of my meta-analytical papers that we used when I did the study trying to get people to stop being yo-yoers. Is that if we actually look at, okay, what's the time scale? Eight to 12 weeks. 
And if I use that H12 weeks in terms of how I actually periodize my training regimen and periodize my dietary changes, I can actually have prolonged body compositional changes. And I can have prolonged body compositional changes without regards to what am I actually eating? It goes back to what you were talking about in terms of the bodybuilder saying, oh, well, you can cut out this or cut out that, where you can eat 600 calories of Twinkies. Right. Or you can eat 600 calories of chicken. They're both 600 calories. The Twinkies is going to be a whole bunch of carbohydrates and partially hydrogenated oils and fat, very little protein. Whereas the chicken, depending upon what kind of chicken you're eating, is going to be somewhere between 75 and 95% protein with, a, once again, depending on what type of chicken you're eating, with a bunch of creatine, some essential fatty acids, some non-essential fatty acids, some essential amino acids, some non-essential amino acids. But if I'm not getting, and this once again goes back into the, into the, the dairy stuff, the dairy proteins provide me with a lot of the branch chain amino acids and a lot of the essential amino acids that I need in a day. If you look at, so uh, we'll kind of end, end here with, with talking about the, the protein powders, because mm -hmm. all the protein powders come from either plants or come from, from milk. Right. Curds and whey, if you remember your nursery rhymes. Mm -hmm. Curds are the fat. Whey, right now. Whey, whey is the protein. Yeah. And so, so the whey protein is coming from milk. And so all of those, all those milk proteins that we talk about, if you look at all of the labels on all of the, the proteins, they're bragging about how much branched-chain amino acids you get. Mm -hmm. And they're bragging about how much essential amino acids you get. All that's coming from the, from, the, from the milk, coming from the dairy. You can get a good portion of it from the, from the plant-based dairy products, but you get a higher percentage of it from the, from the cow, from the goat, from the elk, from the reindeer, from the uh, camel, just to name a few of the other animals that have been used for, for milking purposes. I know most of us don't think about the other ones outside of goat and cow, at least within the United States, but there's other organisms that provide milk mm -hmm. to, to quote uh, the meat, meet the Falker line. You can, you can milk anything that has, that, that has nipples. You can try. Yeah. And so, and, and, and so um, you can use any mammal to get to get milk it's it's what what quality of milk it might be there and so when we start looking at like the, the the protein powders to back to the to the bodybuilders the bodybuilders will talk about oh you have to consume this ultra processed super fine whey protein no actually a protein blend is actually more beneficial than consuming the whey protein in oh. terms in terms of body compositional changes strength gains and overall nutrition that's simply because the, the, the isolate whey proteins have cut out so much of the other stuff that's there. And so like casein, which is one of the proteins in milk, helps with satiation because it takes a long time to break casein down into its, into its components. Okay. And the nice thing with, with consuming the, the, the protein mixture, if I happen to be lactose intolerant, 
I'm going to get a very low dose of lactose in that protein powder than I would get if I was to drink the, the milk equivalent. Is there still some lactose in there? Yes, but the, but the amount of lactose is very low because of how it gets processed and refined in order to extract the whey mm-hmm. from the fat and from the other milk uh, chemicals. So when sometimes they process out, they, they extract the, 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 they allow settling to take place and then they, and they extract the proteins and they process the proteins and dry the proteins and that leaves us with that protein powder. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so if I'm consuming the protein blend versus consuming the, the whey protein, I get all of those milk proteins as opposed to just the whey isolate. No, what do you mean by uh, what was that? The protein. So, so protein protein blends are yeah, different. Blend. So, so like if you just go and get get the jug that says protein, mm-hmm. versus getting <laughs> a jug that says whey. So, okay. so, oh. so the like the once again without naming any brands, right? Like the 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 whey isolates mm-hmm. basically are utilizing just the amino acids or they're trying to extract just the amino acids that are found within the whey component of the proteins within milk. And so whey right. is just one protein with, within all of the, the milk proteins. And so like there's albumin protein, there, there's casein protein, there's, there's whey protein within there. If you get a protein blend, it has the whey protein, but also has some casein protein, also has some albumin, it has other protein molecules within those proteins that have been extracted. Okay. So it's, it's more less... diverse proteins per serving. Correct. Correct. Okay. It's, it's, it's less processed. And since it's less processed, it costs less to produce, which means that I can now sell it for a lower price. And since I'm selling it for a lower price, it goes into that whole economic thing is that, oh, it must be a lower quality product because it costs less. Right. When it's just... It's not as processed as much. It doesn't require as much. Exactly. Okay. And would that be sold in the same places as Mm -hmm. the whey protein? So I could go to where I bought my whey isolate and go, oh, here's this protein blend instead. I'm going to buy this now because obviously why not? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And and, and so once again, it goes into that whole nutritional literacy aspect of understanding the dairy products and understanding the protein products. And understanding, yeah. am I going to get, am I going to get my stuff from animal stuff or am I going to get my stuff from, from plant stuff? And within that understanding that we have to understand that when we're looking at the dairy stuff, not everybody can process the dairy stuff. And so we can't say, oh, only eat butter, only eat, only drink milk. Because if I can't digest lactose, my ability to drink, to, con- to consume milk and consume ice cream which has high amounts of lactose in it relative to, to but like butter, I'll be fine to a certain mm-hmm. extent because there's lower concentrations of lactose and there's still a little bit of lactose in the butter, but not very much. I'll still be okay, but it's, it, that's that whole issue that we're looking at when we start looking, okay, that percentage of people who can actually digest the dairy stuff versus people who can't digest the dairy stuff. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully you got a little bit out of the conversation that we had as related to milk, 
milk products, as well as plant-based beverages and the non-dairy milk products. Please make sure that you have liked and subscribed to the publications. It's going to help us out with the algorithms. It will keep you alert to all of the publications that we're putting out on all the various platforms here on the podcast, as well as on YouTube, on Substack, as well as the quick takes that we put out there on Instagram, as well as in threads. If you have any questions or comments, please make sure you leave it for us. We're open to hearing from you so that we might be able to improve the quality of stuff we're putting out there as well as answer any of the questions you might have as relates to any of the scientific or nutrition literacy issues that we uh, brought up within the conversation. Please stay tuned for more publications coming out as relates to nutrition literacy and scientific literacy in the coming weeks.